Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we've reached the end of Nasty November. It's gone quick. It November has... has gone so quick. It has... I mean, it's almost December now, and that means one thing. Shitty Christmas films. That's true. That's true. But they're a little better this year, ever so slightly. I mean, we've really put ourselves through it with some of the Christmas films in the past. Um, go back and listen. So, we have a bit of a change of schedule today, because we were originally discussing terror with Ben Simpson, but unfortunately he's unwell, and we hope he gets better soon, and we can confirm he will be back next year with us to discuss terror. We'll make it our first episode of Nasty November. Yes, very much looking forward to that. It's unfortunate, but we hope Ben feels better. Yes. Uh, so... Slight change of schedule means that we're discussing something a little different, but still within the realm of Section 3 Video Nasties, we are discussing The Prowler from 1981. The slasher film. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> or AKA Rosemary's Killer. Well, yes. Yes, yeah. that's true. That's true. Uh, massively underrated slasher. Um, yes. Like, a lot of people don't know this exists. Funny enough, I knew it exists because uh, there was a photo of my dad's bedroom when he was younger and he had a poster of it. Oh, wow. Um, so that's how I knew it existed. How did you... Because you watched this before me, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just on... Um, I used to religiously go on terrortrap.com mm-hmm. and lists of slasher films and lots of reviews and such and it just sort of came you know came up and Tom Savini and slasher film and I was yeah. like okay so I um, yeah I, I watched it um, in some way yeah that yeah not it's, it's not easy to that I'm not going to not, admit how it's I not easy to it. get hold of in the UK that's the thing it was difficult at the time to get hold of in the UK we're in it on Blu-ray now do you know what? Actually, that's a lie. I I'm sorry, listeners. Wow. I, I've actually just lied. No, I bought it. Um, it was one of the only sort of Region One DVDs that I did buy. Oh. Yeah, because I had I did have a Region Three DVD player back in the day. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for lying. Yeah, to bought it great, off eBay. Yeah. Great start to the episode. Yeah, wow. I, do, I apologize. I mean, obviously, I've never Very legally deceived. downloaded any films, but th- this is one of them. Yes. Oh. Obviously, it's been lost to time. DVD itself. So you're not Captain Jack Sparrow after all. Uh, directed by <laughs> Joseph Zito, uh, director of The Greatest Friday the 13th film, The Final Chapter, Missing in Action, Invasion USA, Red Scorpion, Power Play, Abduction, and a few more. He once told a guard at a uh, cinema where the film was being screened that he was the director of the film, and the guard responded, You really did kill those people, right? Oh. I mean, it's bizarre how realistic the kills look in this film. Um, it's also bizarre that the security dude didn't go to the police if he, <laughs> if he thought that he'd seen real slayings on the uh, big screen. Yes, real slayings. Not that kind of slaying. In a bizarre series of events, this film is written by a team of writers who have only... They've done like one or two horror films here and there, some of them, but... Predominantly worked on kids' TV. <laughs> I am, and no matter how much I look for trivia about this, I don't know why this is a thing. I mean, it's a fucking brutal horror film. 
uh, one of the goriest slashes I've seen, and it's written by a team of kids TV writers. It's um, it's a difficult one because it's not actually that sleazy on paper. Oh, it's not sleazy. It's not that sleazy. The poster and, will have you think otherwise. Yeah, but... and the kills themselves, yes, are very gruesome. Yeah, but I give full props to Tom Savini for that one. Yeah, because actually, I realized watching the film for God knows how many times now, that the kills are kind of basic in a sense in terms of what they actually are. It, it's a pitchfork to the stomach. Yeah. But they make it look fantastic. Yeah. It, it's a slit throat. But it looks fantastic. Yeah. And it looks so much more than what it actually is. Because mm-hmm. you think of slasher films, you know, you look at something like A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, which came three years later, being sucked into the bed and coming out in a geyser of blood. Yeah, you know, crawling across the wall and mm-hmm. having the slashes. You know, stuff like that. That's really over the top. Yeah, that's, you know, high camp actually. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you know, uh, the over the top nature. These are actually kind of simple. Yeah, that's true. that's true. This is, and that's why it feels so realistic. Yeah, as well. But it's written by Glenn Lopold, who did Smurfs, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Dumb and Dumber, the animated series, The Town Santa Forgot, The Jetsons, Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures, Kong, the animated series, Too Scared to Scream, which is an actual horror film, and more. Um, Also written by Hanna-Barbera co-founder, Joseph Barbera's son, Neil Barbera. Yeah. And uh, he worked on Banana Splits Adventure Hour, Yogi's Gang, The Pebbles and Bam Bam Show, Scooby's All-Star Laugh Olympics, Tom and Jerry's Kids Show, uh, and also Too Scared to Scream, and more. Also written by Eric Lewald, who did 90s X-Men, Young Hercules, Exo Squad, Robozuna, Legend of the Dragon, Gargoyles, Winnie the Pooh Playtime, Detective Tigger, and more. Also written by Mark Edward Edens, who did 90s X-Men, In the Heat of the Night, Hot Wheels Highway, 35 World Race, Time Kid, Don't Look Under the Bed, Mummy's Alive, Young Hercules, and more. Also (laughs) written by Michael Edens, who did episodes of 90s Spider-Man and X-Men, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Exo Squad, Barney and Friends, Barney's Worldwide Adventure, Sabrina's Secret Life, E-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Sonic Underground, and more. Also written by Sarah Higgins. Now, she did the letter that appears at the start of the film. She's not worked on anything else. But you know what? Sarah Higgins, you did something that set the plot in motion. So, I mean, you get your props to you. Um, That's a lot of writers. That's a lot of writers. Do you feel, and I have absolutely no evidence whatsoever to back this up, um, but do you feel that... Um, Neil Barbera had kind of gotten some money, maybe off his dad's potentially to make a film, to write a film, and he decided because he was probably maybe a big horror fan that he wanted to write. A yeah, slash, you know, he'd watched Halloween. He was like, I could do that, and got some money. And yeah, it all sort of fell into place. That would not surprise me. Yeah, if that was the case. And then him and maybe a bunch of college friends and such. I don't think it warrants six writers. No. I, I like no, the film. I really no. like the film. But the writing in it is 
your standard slasher fare, really. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 nothing here that looks like it took more effort than any of the good Friday the Thirteenth films have. At the you heart know? of it is a very basic plot. Yeah. Really. Six writers is yeah, yeah. Um, and you're saying about the money. I mean, this is made on a budget of one million dollars, which is fucking impressive. Mm, um, considering yeah. how it looks, and uh, I couldn't get an exact number of how much it made, but it made less than a million. I can tell you that. Um, and uh, Avco, Avco Embassy Pictures made an offer of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for distribution rights to the film. Joseph Zito stated that the producer declined the offer and instead decided to self-distribute the film himself, a decision that Zito believes hurt the film's box office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people were lapping this stuff up yeah. back in 1981. There's so many films. You know, slasher boom. Yeah. It, and People would have ate this shit up. Yeah, they and would have. Like, it was even discovered that it had been re-released to a handful of cinemas in North and South Carolina as Pitchfork Massacre in the spring of 1984. No one knows who the distributor was, who, who was or whether they had legally acquired the rights to do so. But again, you know, that just goes to show the amount of them that's out there. The makers of this film probably didn't even think that a film being released called Pitchfork Massacre was their film. Yeah. Because yeah. there was so many being released with so many similar names. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this has different names itself. It was also known as, like you said, Rosemary's Killer uh, in Australia and Europe in a cut that gets rid of most of Tom Savini's gore effects. Mm. The German version omits all of the gore, including the revelation of the killer's identity. <laughs> oh god! Imagine how boring that film is. <laughs> Fuck you now. And replace the soundtrack with bird sounds for daytime scenes, cricket sounds for night scenes, and Richard Enhorn's score with uh, synthesizer music by an uncredited musician. Jesus Christ! Um, this version goes by the title "The Pitchfork of Death." Goodness gracious! How do you know it's the Pitchfork of Death? If you don't pitchfork. fucking see it. <laughs> Um, and of course, it was a video nasty, but not a bizarre series of events, not one that could be prosecuted. So the witch that came from the sea, I've used this every episode as an, as an example, and it'll always be my best example because it's fucking ridiculous. The witch that came from the sea has one slightly gory scene in it that's mixed with a bit of sex, and it was on section one, the, the DPP mm. list. You could get prosecuted if you own that film. If you owned the Prowler, you'd have it confiscated, but you couldn't get prosecuted. And a lot of the special effects were trimmed in the British release print. But then, I mean, when it gets to that point, it's like, what's the point? Like, I mean, why would you even want to risk having it anyway? Like, if that's... Maybe it's a case of availability. Mm. Because I would say this is a lot more grim than a lot of the films on... Yeah. The main list. Yeah. Um, but maybe because it wasn't a big film in America, mm -hmm. maybe it just didn't make its way over as much. Yeah. So it wasn't on the radar. Which is strange when you think about the fact that my dad had a poster of it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, yeah. In fact, it had to have been, I mean, those weren't the days of eBay. It had to no. be readily available somewhere in Coventry. Yeah. That's, that's true, actually. May, or maybe it was trimmed before it even made its way over yeah. here. 
Yeah. Maybe that's... Well, yeah, it does say it was trimmed for British audiences, yeah, so I suppose... so maybe it yeah. was trimmed so much that it, it wasn't as bad as, obviously, the uncut version. Yeah. What an absolute shame that was. There's so many people. Because this has never had an official UK Blu-ray release. We own the American version. It's never had a UK DVD or Blu-ray mm. release. So, you know, it's not available uncut in the UK, which is ridiculous, in 2023. Uh, but there we go. Yes, hopefully some want to pick it up soon. Eighty-eight films. Yeah, slasher classic. Slasher classic. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, critic. So uh, first of all, before I read you this bit of trivia, what do you think this film's about? Do you think there's any certain themes here? Um, I absolutely think that World War Two is in place of the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and I think it is actually quite a bold move. Yeah. To have spoiler alert to have your killer as a war veteran. Yeah. Um. It didn't really go into it too much. No. But I think that is a bold move. To, to yeah. Have that. But it's definitely. I mean, it's nineteen eighty one. Horror still was you know very much in keeping with the post Vietnam War sort of um, feelings. Yeah, because critic Stephen Dilsner from the Washington Post interpreted it as a sly, strange statement about the stakes of war and cites the film as a transgressive in the genre due to its portrayal of a war veteran as its villain, Mm. saying not every movie could get away with casting a spurned veteran as its villain, especially not a World War II vet. Even in 1981, that generation was lionized for the uh, morality of that conflict, set in sharp relief by the more controversial Vietnam War. And scholar James Kendrick said that The Prowler uh, is thematically linked to such films as The Burning, in which psychological trauma plays an integral role in the acts of murder being committed, and where a present event provides the traumatised, maddened villain an opportunity to take revenge on the guilty parties or their symbolic substitutes. Um, which, again, is really interesting, especially means this is literally a case of a guy being dumped by a girl and he goes to pretty extreme lengths to get revenge. Yeah, I think it's it is very interesting. Um I do think the film could have sort of identified this more clearly. Yeah. Because it is kind of a bit like whatever the theme is, it's like farting in a room and running out. Yeah. It's sort of like, here it is, bye, yeah. see you later. Yeah, it, I it think... doesn't fully deal with... You don't yeah. have that um, Norman Bates wouldn't hurt a fly moment at the end no, of the film. No, Where everything, yeah, it's... the themes are neatly tied up. It feels like stuff's been cut from the ending. Mm. Like, the way it ends. But I mean, he hasn't really got much chance to explain himself. <laughs> no, but if you had sort of the police officer or someone say, yes. oh, well, he... Did this and yeah. this is what happened. Yeah. You kind of have to piece it together yourself. Yeah. Which I kind of like in one way because it's yeah. different. It's, yeah. it's definitely different to every other slasher film of the time. But at the same time, it could have done that a little bit extra there. Should we talk about who's in it? Yes, in a section we like to call Hey, I Know You. Uh, do we know Vicky Dawson? She plays Pam McDonald. Um, I don't know her personally. No. Um, but you do know her doppelganger. But I do know her doppelganger, and I'm going to keep bringing it up because it's true. I, 
for the longest time got this film mixed up with Friday the 13th <laughs> Part 2. Pitchfork. Pitchfork. <laughs> um, lovely blonde girl at the forefront. Looks yeah. very similar. Um, are they freckly? A little freckly. Yeah, yeah, a little freckly. They look so much alike. They, look, they look very much alike. Yeah. Oh, and Amy Steele we're talking Amy about. Amy Steele. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> Ginny. Ginny. Um, but Vicky Dawson's in this, not Amy Steele, and she plays Pam McDonald, no relation to Jane, and uh, she was in Queen of the Amazon, False Hopes, Toxicity, Those She Left Behind, Carbon Copy, Breaking Up, As the World Turns, and more. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. She's a good job. I like, I like her. Oh, I think she does a fantastic yeah. job, but... Um, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it's kind of... Weird um, that the, these actresses, they do a lovely job and they're the final girl and she, yeah. she's in so much of this film. Mm-hmm. She doesn't go on to anything else. No, no, which is a shame. It's a shame. Christopher Geltman plays Deputy Mark London. He was also in As the World Turns. All My Children, One Life to Live, Goodbye New York, The Powers of Matthew Starr, Charlie's Angels and more. Deputy Mark London Looks like he's in his fifties. He do, he does look a lot older than his girlfriend in the film, and uh, seemingly yeah, Chris, Christopher Geltman goes on to be a soap opera producer mainly. Yeah, you know, um, which yeah, I think they're in keeping with the same sort of camp sensibility mm-hmm. slash films. Yeah. <laughs> soap operas. I think uh, we talk about it a lot is the idea that so many of these horror film directors go on to do these Hallmark Christmas Uh films. I I think it's just, it's camp. I I think if you're able to do that campness, it it sort of um, equates quite easily to those over the top soap opery sort of movies and TV movies and such. Lawrence Tierney is Major Chatham, and uh, he was in Reservoir Dogs, Born to Kill, Bodyguard, Junior, The Naked Gun, Silver Bullet, Annual Holds Bad, House Free, The Horror Show, and more. So, a little more of a uh, London career than the other two. Yeah, a bit of a, a B-movie star, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose he probably didn't go on to his most famous roles until afterwards. Yeah. Kind of, you know, you're looking at his Armageddon, it was afterwards, Reservoir yeah. Dogs, probably what he's most famous Oh, Quentin for. Tarantino loves this film, as, as you know. Of course. I mean, oh, is it one that. of those where it's his favourite film? It's his favourite film, yeah. And uh, finally, I have Farley Granger, who plays Sheriff George Fraser. Of course, the star of Strangers on a Train, Rope, They Live by Night, Murder, She Wrote, As the World Turns, again. Death Mask, The Image Maker, and more. And he was cast in this film because the wife of one of the film's investors happened to be taking an acting class with him. Yeah. Um, Folly Granger, probably the most famous person in the film. Yeah. Um, going into it. And there were a few slasher films, I think in Alone in the Dark, mm-hmm. that had these more famous actors. Yeah. So this came after sort of exploitation. This is, we, I believe we spoke about this before, actually. Yeah. When there's an older man who's a famous actor and he actually gets uh, a fairly decent role in these films. And you think, you know, Leslie Nelson 
in yeah. uh, Prom Night. Um, I can't remember the others right now, but there's definitely... But there are... Donald Pleasance in Halloween. Yeah. I mean, you know... But those one and, and what it all boils down to is that the actresses who were forced to do the exploitation yeah. roles were on another level to someone like... So you look at someone like Farley Granger. Yeah. Yes, famous. Yes, in a few famous films. But not A-list. No. A famous actor, yeah. and the most famous actor going into this, and probably the most expensive. Yeah. But you look at someone like Joan, Joan Crawford was one of the top five, top ten biggest movie stars mm-hmm. of Hollywood's golden era. Yeah. In terms of box office... Butts in seats. Mm-hmm. She was huge. Betty Davis was nominated for more Oscars than anyone else at one yeah. point. You know, big box office stars who were forced to do these B-movie films. So you look at someone like Farley Granger. Yes, okay, a Hollywood star, but not even close to on the no, level no. of the actresses uh-huh. that were forced to do these kinds of yeah. roles. You know, you wouldn't get Cary Grant. In no. the Prowler. No. But the the actresses always had a certain role to play mm-hmm. in these films. Yeah. And, you know, they're always psychotic, um, going crazy because of aging and so on. Um, but then, yeah, you look at roles like this and yeah, I mean, fair enough, he's a killer. Um, but we only get a few seconds of him being, re- I suppose, spoiler alert. Yeah. A few seconds of him being revealed as a killer. Um, but before that, I mean, he's just playing a cop, you know, it's, and then the Hollywood way. I don't. I don't want to look Not too much into it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to look too much into it. Um, but he's also the killer because of a woman. Because of a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This film's an incel killer. It's story. a little. Yeah. It, it. It. I mean, it is. He is an incel killer, basically. <laughs> And obviously, finally, the Prowler was actually played by three different people. Oh. Assistant director Peter Giuliano. Stalked around and chased the victims throughout the film. Makeup effects artist Tom Savini wore the uniform and gloves to perform all the gory close-up shots of the kills because he knew how to perform the effects. And Farley Granger, of course, in the climatic unmasking scene. So now that we've spoiled it for you, <laughs> let's talk about our feature presentation. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home Boy. was about to begin. Roy? Come on. Come on, kid. Don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. We start with a newsreel about the troops coming home from war. On March 12th, 1944, in Avalon, California, during World War II, a woman named Rosemary writes a letter to her boyfriend, breaking up with him. Now, I have the letter here. She says, I don't know how to tell you this. I really don't want to hurt you, but I just can't wait for you any longer. I know I promised to wait. I really did try, but it's been so much longer than either of us expected. So much has happened. You're so far away. I hope you understand how I feel. I know I said I loved you, but I'm young. 
and I have to live my life now. And who knows how long it'll be before you return. I hope you don't hate me for feeling this way, but perhaps when the war is over, we can be friends again. Please take care of yourself. I continue to worry about you. Sincerely, XOXO, Rosemary. Duh. I love Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get all that read out. Don't yes, we? we do. So, um, yeah, Rosemary's gagging for a bit. She, she is. She can't wait to be around. around. Yeah, fair play to so her. So, just saying, what are you doing over there? Yeah. Like, you know, just some silly old war. World War. World War Two. Yeah. Well, you know no what? likes a sequel. Get back here. A woman's got to think about a woman's needs. And yes. That's what she did. She fought for herself and good for her. I mean, she's responsible for the murder of many people, but you know, that's. She's not. I mean, this is. You shouldn't be victim blaming. She also gets murdered. She that's, does. She does. It's also called Rosemary's Killer. Yeah. <laughs> on, on June 28th, 1945, she's attending a graduation dance of her new boyfriend, Roy, uh, who suggests they go out to Lover's Lane. Whilst they are uh, there, Roy kisses Rosemary's neck for a bit, but she's not having it. Like, she's she's she wants a bit, but she doesn't want him. She, yeah, she, I, I like that she doesn't do the whole um, virginal act. Yeah. So when he says, let's go off to Lover's Lane, she thinks it's a little early. She's not saying yeah. no. She doesn't want to go. She's a little early. Let's, uh-huh. let's save that till later. Yeah. And he says, oh, don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? And she says, that was different. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think and she does it a little bit. But I, I think she's... Um, I, I don't think she's being led on, should I say. No. Which I quite like. I mean, she writes the letter and says, no, I, you know, I ain't waiting around. Yeah. And then she couldn't wait on New Year's Eve. She couldn't. So I like I it. Could, um... a, bit, a little bit sex positive, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Until she's murdered for it. Um... Do you think Roy's a little bitchy, by the way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's no. like reading he... people to film. Yeah. yeah he I'm, gets... I'm not sure if he's that interested in Lover's Lane. He gets what he deserves. Yeah, um, Rosemary does not though um, You know Can't blame a woman for wanting a bit But mm. they are attacked by a mysterious prowler Wearing an army combat uniform Who impales them both with a pitchfork And leaves behind a red rose Now shooting the film's special makeup effects Would usually take a full day for each setup And the film's entire shooting schedule Was built around the filming of these effects And Tom Savini considers it to be his best work I think it is absolutely his best work. Yeah. I don't think it's his most impressive work because Dawn of the Dead is on a humongous scale. Yeah. Um, and that's fantastic work for how huge that was as a process. Yeah. But I, I think in terms of looking real... Oh, yeah. And you don't see the strings. No, I don't know how. Film. I don't know how. I don't know how they did it. Really an incredible job. And this is the same year as The Burning. So he was on... Top form. Yeah. I mean, he always has been. I don't think he's ever done a bad job, in my opinion. No, no, absolutely not. No, no but he's... this is... Yeah. Yeah. And and dare I say, it's the single most memorable part of this film. If it didn't have those kills, it's kind of like My Bloody Valentine and how my rate went up for My Bloody Valentine after yeah. I saw it uncut. You know, if it didn't have these curls, it wouldn't be as memorable. No, no. Those poor Germans that watched. I know that, that <laughs> version. Just a bit bored. No wonder the uh, yeah. No wonder it's rated so low. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. 
Uh, on June 28th, 1980, college senior Pam McDonald is uh, making last-minute arrangements for that night's graduation ball. The first to be held since the 1945 murders. I wonder what's going to happen now. Um, okay. Is, is this not the same as... The premise as My Bloody Valentine. My Bloody Valentine. Yes, the exact same like... <laughs> And like the Red Rose as well. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. Six writers. <laughs> Six was my Bloody Valentine the same year? Same year, yeah, I of course swear. It it's the same year. I'm curious as to which one came first because it, 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 there are so many similarities here. I mean, even, you know, it's not the same outfit for the killer, but it's kind of, it looks very similar. It it does, it does. And, and I right love, I actually genuinely love the outfit in this film and my yeah. Bloody Valentine. I find it so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it works really well. Yeah. But, um, I mean, My Blue Valentine's better film, I will say. Uh, yes, it is. I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a little more going on. Yeah. The characters are a little yeah. more interesting to their film. So, My Bloody Valentine was, of course, also released in 1981, and it was released on the 13th of February. Oh, you're kidding. The 13th of February. Wow. Just perfect for Valentine's Day. Perfect for Valentine's Day. And I can confirm the Prowler was released on the 9th of October, 19. Um, so we okay. know who took what from who. You think? Yes. Oh, come on. Yes. I suppose the turnaround <laughs> with these kind of films is quite yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, so helping Pam are her friends Lisa, Sherry, and Sherry's love interest, Carl. Later, offers to her boyfriend, the town's deputy, Mark London. Pam overhears a report of the Prowler. Okay, the surnames in this film are fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Pam McDonald and Mark London. Yeah. <laughs> If you wanted it to be British, then just fucking make it British. <laughs> um, can I just say that the actor who played Carl, he, he wasn't interested enough for Hey, I Know You. <laughs> um, but his name's David Sederholm. Okay. And he famously played the guy from Friends who um, Phoebe and Monica fight over after he's hit by a car. Oh, okay. And he's in a coma. Well, he doesn't have much luck in things, does he? No. And uh, yeah, he wakes up and he's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pam expresses her concern for a much older man, Mark's safety, because the sheriff is leaving town for a fishing trip. That's suspicious. <gasps> That's suspicious. Um, um, Pam thinks that the punch is a little tasteless as well. Yes, she but does. Carl has a bottle of vodka conveniently hidden. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's a bit weird to see them hide a bottle of vodka when they're clearly old <laughs> enough. I mean, Mark's definitely old enough. I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but I don't know what they're graduating from. Yeah, me neither. Were they held back about five to ten years? I mean, was it so difficult to cast teenagers in the 80s? Like, was it really that difficult? <laughs> there would be restrictions, though, wouldn't there? I suppose, yeah. There would be. Um, I think. I think it was Friday the 13th Part 2. Yeah. Um, one of the roles called for nudity and... They actually had a teenager. They actually yeah. had a teenager. Yeah. They're like, okay, we can't do this now. Yeah. Um, Sleepaway Camp 2. Restriction. I'm not sure if low-budget B-movies had the same restrictions. Yeah. But in terms of sort of night shooting and mm-hmm. search, I'm looking at you, Greece. Yeah. Um, There would be restrictions on how long a 
you know, someone actually, a teenager could grow up to be. Yeah, I think we've got past it now. But the problem is nowadays, you, you wouldn't know. Like, <laughs> the way uh, actors <clears throat> in Hollywood take care of themselves these days, you, you wouldn't fucking know their age. It, it's a difficult one. I mean, everybody. Nicole looks... Kidman could play too. Hey, Sigourney Weaver did play a 15 year old in Avatar 2, so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody looks how they look, but it's hard to suspend belief when somebody who's clearly in their 20s is hiding a bottle of yeah. vodka. <laughs> Mark reassures Pam and promises to meet her at the dance. Pam heads back to the dorm to get ready and eventually leaves with her friends, but Sherry stays behind to shower. And she says, Carl gets real horny if I make him wait. <coughs> but Carl's there to pay a surprise visit. How Pam insinuates that it doesn't matter how Sherry's dress looks because it won't stay on long enough. Yes, which is a little bit shady. There's slut shame in there. It is. Yeah, I mean, good for Sherry. You know, um, Lisa flashes the neighbor, Lawrence Tierney. She does. The window. Yeah. She gives him a flash. Um, the second most famous person in the film. So <laughs> obvious red herring there, and. Um, yeah, you don't really get much of their friendship. No. Um, because I thought Lisa is friends with them, but she doesn't really bitchy uh, at the dance. Yeah, Lisa's certainly not Pam's friend. No. So I don't, I'm assuming college graduates then. It's just they're all college people. And yeah. Forced together. Um, why is Sherry not ready with the rest of them? So there's no real reason given as to why Sherry wasn't ready with the rest of them. Because Carl gets horny when she makes him wait. No, but she's in the shower whilst everyone's pissed off. And it's just, it's just taking a sweet time. She she's has. had as much time as everyone else. Yeah. Carl's ready. And then he's not. <laughs> well, Carl is, yeah, Carl arrives. And uh, whilst he's undressing, he's attacked and killed with bayonet. The killer keeps the knife in his head for a while and his eyes roll to the back of his head and it is fucking disturbing. It is. It is. Like, um, this is such a really good kill. Yeah, because it literally goes in the head yeah. and then out the neck, like yeah. chin area. Um, yeah, looks fantastic. Really creepy. Yeah. And then the infamous kill from this film. Mm -hmm. The killer then heads to the shower and impales Sherry with a pitchfork and lifts her up. And it goes on for so long. And again, you know, you can't see where the prosthetics start and where they end, even with a Blu-ray transfer, you know? Yeah. It looks incredible. And I find throughout the film, the blood squirt. So yeah. there's sort of, I, I find obviously with a lot of slasher films, the, the blood maybe doesn't work as it would, you know, if you hit an artery or such. But it's not quite like Japanese cinema no, where no. it's, you know, um, <laughs> like a fire hose yeah. <laughs> coming yeah. out. Um, but I think it looks more realistic. If, it, if it's hitting somewhere, the blood pouring out, yeah. it does look more realistic mm -hmm. in this film. It looks great. And I'm surprised this scene in particular, and maybe this is the one that was cut yeah. before it reached our shores, because the nudity and the death yes. together yeah. 
would have been a huge I assume red the nudity flag. would have been left in for this scene. It probably would have been a different angle. I yeah. Assume. So this probably would have been what got the video nasty. But Tri- this I'm surprised it wasn't in wasn't category two or one. Yeah. Because of this yeah, scene no, in particular. Because that's what the BBFC hated. Yeah. The sexual and violent together. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. At the dance where some great 80s dancing is taking place to Hard Way by Nowhere Fast. Pam spots Mark and uh, asks him to come over. Now, Nowhere Fast are the hardest working band in town. They perform all night. They never stop. The killer should have probably killed them first. I mean, they they weren't budging. They were just going to keep playing their generic 80s rock songs all night. And the dancing is is definitely from the director of the final chapter, Friday the 13th. Uh, that's very true. Um, in terms of dances and proms yeah. and adjacent, this one isn't the most exciting. It's in, camp in slasher it's like, film. Yeah. In horror film history, it's not even close. Yeah. But in slasher film, it looks like quite a dull party. I'm it not going to lie. Um, obviously, we'd all want to go to prom from prom night. Yeah. But yeah. I, I would probably skip the invitation to this one. <laughs> uh, as Mark walks towards, walks towards Pam, Lisa asks him to dance. Bitch. Mark mm. agrees, but upsets Pam. He then walks over to her, and the two share a brief but tense exchange, and Lisa walks up and bumps Mark, which causes him to spill a drink all over Pam's dress. Lisa. Bitch. How could she? This is camp. Disgusting. This is very camp. Don't get a lot of camp value in this film, but this no. this is a standout. Yeah, I think Lisa's the only camp value. I think she is. Yeah. 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 She returns uh, to the dorm to change and is chased by the same prowler, but escapes. She, for some reason, has no issue with the shower still yeah. running after all that time. Now I've been known to take my sweet time in the shower. <laughs> But this is ridiculous. Yeah, she should have questioned why she was still in there. She's... For her to not question it, no wonder the planet is the way it is. <laughs> Greta Thunberg, do not watch this film. Yeah. Don't. It's a waste of water. Incredible. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, she um, she runs outside into elderly wheelchair user Major Chatham, who uh, grabs her arm. Is it Major Chatham or Major Chatham? I prefer Chafin, we'll so we'll just go with Chafin. Major Chafin. Um, <laughs> Pam... <laughs> what do my thighs do when they walk? Chafin. Pam uh, escapes his grasp. <laughs> oh, there, was a, there was a better joke there. There was a better joke. It was a good joke. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. could have been... The wordplay could have been I'm sure there. the listeners will laugh. <laughs> Pam escapes his grasp and soon reunites with Mark. That's suspicious. She tells him about the prowler, so he investigates. Um, Can we just... <laughs> Major Chafin, is it established that he is mute? No, he's, he's just a creepy old man. But he's he doesn't speak. Yeah, she's a creepy old man. Oh. Because <laughs> a lot of things aren't necessarily explained in this film. Yeah. So if the idea is... Because he's grabbed hold of her arm for a long time. Yeah. And not said a single word. Mm-hmm. It's never explained why he does this. Or if he knows more... Than we think. Yeah. I think they were just lucky to get him there. 
Uh, he was a little more well-known than everyone else. And they were just like, okay, just do this. You haven't done do much. Just that creepy. Don't say anything. Yeah. We're going to give you no dialogue. It's fine. It's... Just do you. I mean, did they have to pay him for dialogue? Pay him by the line of dialogue, by the word. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a red herring. Anyway. Yeah, of course he, he is the reddest and fishiest of red herrings. But then so is Mark. Do you and think Mark is? Mark is definitely a red herring. The fact that he was there when she was escaping. I mean, come on. She's, she had red herrings either side of her. And the thing is, with the reveal of who it actually is, the film kind of makes you forget that he's in the film for a while because he's gone at the start of the film. It's and... it's a difficult one because if you're going into this, there's two ways to look at it. Yeah. Farley Granger is too expensive. Yeah. So we'll use him as a red herring. Uh-huh. Um, Farley Granger is the most famous. Yeah. So we're going to have him as the killer. Yeah. <laughs> or it's somewhere between those two. Mm-hmm. It's both of those. He's too expensive and he's famous. So let's just have him be the killer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a red herring for a uh-huh. while because we can't afford to have him in the whole film. Yeah. <laughs> After checking the door, Mark only finds boot prints and wheelchair tracks outside. The two then go investigate the Major's home. And Pam realises that his daughter was Rosemary <gasps> and that her killer was never caught. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where they probably shouldn't be so scared. I mean, he got his revenge on Rosemary, didn't kill anyone else and then just fucked off. So, I mean, <laughs> it's what's the likelihood that he's going to come back and kill everyone else, you know? <laughs> Specifically because the dance is happening. I suppose, yeah. It's also not established, yeah. really, that that is why he's come I back think that's for where, so long. Yeah, that's where that theme falls short. Yeah. Because that's never... We're just going to assume that's why he's there. Yeah, you so, know? like, what has the dance done to him... Yeah. ...to make him turn into a killer? Yeah. Because, yes, okay, he killed Rosemary at the dance, but he wasn't jilted at the dance. He was jilted via a letter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it could have maybe been explained a little better. Maybe this is one of those films that needs a remake. Maybe. Only, only if they keep the practical effects. This is the thing. <laughs> they just like insert the Yeah, practice. just insert those scenes and then remake everything else. And then <laughs> add a few more kills in there. Um, convinced the Prowler from earlier is the same killer, Mark and Pam head back to the dance and uh, warn the chaperone, Alison, about the possible danger. So she awkwardly interrupts the hard-working Nowhere Fast, who have not stopped performing all night still. When they They're sing still the going. song about seeing blood, I want to see your blood, I want to see blood <laughs> lucky night. <laughs> um, she tells everyone they can't leave the dance because there's a prowler on the loose who could be dangerous. And the band start playing again, and Sally's nerdy boyfriend, Ben, makes her a very tempting offer. He says, hey baby, let's struggle. How romantic. Isn't that what you said when you proposed to me? Well, yeah. <laughs> but he wants to just take her for a dance. And that's struggling, apparently. Well, not, not a dance. Shag. Well, they go for a dance. Well, they go for a, well, they go for a dance. And then... when They end up in a cellar, don't they, at some well, point? they do. I mean, first of all, Paul, Lisa's boyfriend, is arrested by Mark for public intoxication. 
Um, which actually escalates rather quickly because one minute they're having the laugh of him about like, oh, what are you like? And next minute he's like, get me in the fucking prison cell now. <laughs> so what the fuck? <laughs> Again, it feels like there's a scene cut there. Yeah. It feels, feels like something else happened in the middle. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a teacher or a resident or something. Some old man goes up and complains to to um, the cops about him being intoxicated. And so what are you going to do about it? Arrest him. And then they arrest him, and it's it's kind of really pointless because it doesn't really add anything no. to anything. No, I don't know. Is it meant to be comic relief? I think so. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, Lisa goes out to a nearby swimming pool to call off, and encounters the killer, who in an iconic scene, which is on the poster, slits her throat with the bayonet, and it is fucking graphic. And it goes on, again, another kill that just goes on for so long. You can tell that this was built around these kills because they don't usually go on this long. No, no. Um, yeah, another iconic kill. Yeah. The, the blood, you know, she's got her throat slit. You uh-huh. know, and the blood's pouring as it, as it would. Yeah. Definitely something that was borrowed in the film that's mostly made up of references, Strangers Pray at Night, the swimming pool scene. Oh. Very much. Yeah. 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 Alison goes to find Lisa, but is stabbed and killed also when she's, uh, while she's looking for her, she's stabbed in the throat. Poor Alison. Sally and Ben, this is when they go down to the basement to get it on. Um, he even takes his glasses off for her. And Major Chafin, Major Chafin is there and he's uh, having a bit of a perv on him. <laughs> Now, I only put this in my notes because I thought... I couldn't remember from the first time I watched it. I could have sworn the two of them get killed. They don't. Where... Why was this in there? <laughs> like, a Sally and Ben, who are they? Like, who are these characters? It's to make up the 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is silly because it could have just been an hour and 20 and it could have cut off some of the guff and it would have been a better film. Yes. Yeah. I mean, dare I say it, you know... Could have cut a lot of it and had an hour. I mean, yeah, really, <laughs> really. As long as the kills are in there, I, I, I'll go into greater detail when we wrap things up. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mark and Pam go to investigate the cemetery and discover an open grave with Lisa's body in it, and Pam pretends to be upset. Um, this... I know you. Why is she? Oh, Lisa. Lisa was a bitch. I know. Yeah. Why she didn't do it yourself? Yeah. These scenes were shot at an actual cemetery on Halloween night, 1980. Oh. And the open grave used in the film was an actual open grave for waiting a funeral. Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, Claimed fame. Yeah. Mark tries to call the cabin that the sheriff went to. The site worker, again, a really weird bit of comedy thrown in, um, can't be bothered to do anything. So tells him he'll go and check and see if the sheriff is in his cabin. But what he actually does is leave the phone on the table whilst he sat around playing cards on his own and eating. And uh, eventually he picks the phone back up and says he went to chat, but he wasn't there. Um, I mean, it's not very funny. No. And it goes on far too long. It does. For a cheap gag. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, but Mark then calls the state police for help and he informs Pam that the state police told him that the reported prowler has been caught, uh, was caught three hours earlier and could not have killed Lisa. Oh. So who is the suspected prowler? <laughs> Some random person. <laughs> it was a scary place, 1980. 
Every place, every time. <laughs> six writers, everyone. Six writers. Yeah. Pam suspects that Lisa's. So you know how the film's called The Prowler. Yeah. It's not even about the Prowler. No, no. The Prowler was, was some other dude. Yeah. Pam suspects that Lisa's killer is the same killer who murdered Rosemary and her boyfriend in 1945. Very good. She's well obsessed. Done, she Pam. is obsessed she with is. that incident. Yeah, she's a clever girl. Pam, these days, she loves a true crime podcast, doesn't she? She does. She, she tries to investigate all of them. She, <laughs> she, she's she got, got her own. She should have her own. I mean, she was spot on. Yeah. I mean, she was right. There's yeah. no denying it. There's no lie there. They go to investigate uh, Major Chafin's house again. And uh, Mary, Mary, <laughs> what's Mary? Mark is attacked as the Prowler <laughs> chases Pam through the house. And uh, the Prowler speaks this time and says, I'm here for our date, Rose. Mark's reluctant to let her come along at first, yeah. but she's very determined, and we love to see it. Yeah. But why are you struggling to make up time in this film? <laughs> Throw some more money at Tom Savini and get us some more kills, for fuck's sake. I don't want all this guff. But then we have another random character show up. Otto, um, a slow-witted, the, the exact words of Wikipedia, I don't know, employee of the local convenience store and an armed member of a small posse uh, patrolling. <laughs> Why are you laughing at the word possibly? Evil dies tonight. A patrol in the neighborhood for oh, the prowler. I it was it was... Oh, grow up. What? <laughs> They've been patrolling the neighborhood for the prowler. <laughs> appears and uh, shoots the prowler with a rifle, but he quickly recovers and shoots Otto dead with a sawn off uh, shotgun before again attacking Pam by reloading the shotgun. Yeah, so this is the scene where Pam looks just like Ginny. She does. It's, it's pretty much exactly the same yeah. shot. Uh-huh. Um, Friday the 13th Part 2 is also the same year uh, as yeah. well. So we, uh-huh. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to um, insinuate anything. Um, yeah, it's not really explained how the Prowler can get shot. Yeah. And then get up straight away. No. Like, he's really sharp. Yeah, he's superhuman, uh, obviously, because he's a slasher villain in the 80s. Maybe he's a zombie, that's why. Um, whilst pinned to the ground, Pam manages to unmask the Prowler, and uh, it's revealed to be Sheriff Fraser. <gasps> Not the most famous person in the film. And <laughs> within seconds, she wrestles with the shotgun from his hands, then eventually puts it under his chin and pulls the trigger, killing Fraser with a Fucking amazing head explosion. Yes. Tom Zavini is so good at doing head explosions. Um, this we, and uh, Maniac. Yeah. What, what's your favourite head explosion? In scanners. Film? Obviously Scanners. Scanners. I mean, there's, yeah, it has to be. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, that's a good one. But, I mean, Scanners, it's just, you see it all. Yeah, of course. And it's very unexpected. Yeah. Um, is that not yours? Yeah, I suppose yeah. so, yeah. Um, the next day, bit... extra content for the uh, listeners. Though. Yeah, it's always important. But it ends. Uh... Gary's top ten head explosions. <laughs> well, that could be a future episode, can't <laughs> it? Um, but that's it. He's gone. Yeah, he's dead. There's, we found out who he is, and he's dead. Yeah, and then it fades to black, and the next day we're on the next day. Like, there's nothing from Mark about this. There's nothing at all. He's just that's it. Yeah. And I kind of love it for that because it's, like I said, one of the best head, head explosions I've seen. And it's just out of nowhere. Also included in the trailer, a bizarre choice. 
And um, that was it. Yeah. But it, it, I kind of like the way we see that and that's it. That's the last image of the killer. It's his head exploding. It, it's true. But my, I suppose my issue is we have so much guff yeah. in the film. We could have had a little time talking about... Killing him straight away, mm-hmm. fantastic. You know? Yeah. Great. And it looks brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Polly Granger, expensive. You know, get him mm-hmm. off the screen. But I could have done with just a little bit more of yeah, the no, backstory. Uh-huh. Um, because it does just cut to the next day. Pam, um, for some inexplicable reason, is wearing the same outfit. And there's not a bit of Farley Granger brain matter on her. No, there's this, not. <laughs> this, this baby blue stain-resistant prom dress... That she got changed into. Yeah. So who knows how fucking great the first one uh-huh. was. Uh, that she got changed into. Incredible. Yeah. You know, really just way ahead of its time. The brain, the splatter, just comes straight off. Yeah, camp. <laughs> Love it. The next day, uh, Mike returns Pam to her dorm and she goes up alone. Uh, in a really tacked on ending, discovering Sherry and Carl's bodies in the shower, she screams as Carl comes to life to grab her. But she realises Carl's dead. She's been a silly bitch. And uh, it's just an hallucination. Get over it. It was just a dream. It wasn't real. You've got to have that final scare. You've got to have yeah. Jason coming out of the lake. Yeah. Um, unnecessary. but <laughs> Highly, highly unnecessary. That's the prowler. That's that's the prowler. Now, don't get me wrong. I've slagged it off a lot. I've done a bit of a, what we did with Halloween ends here. I've... I love this film. I, I really do. And I tell any slasher fans to go and watch it if they haven't seen it. I really think it deserves more attention. But mostly for the kills. My rating for this film, uh, an entire, you know, entire two stars have gone on the, on the effects and the kills. Because um, I believe the rest of the film is, is truly a six out of ten. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I really dig this film. Yeah. Despite what we've said, because it, it does fall into a lot of slasher film cliches. I don't really care about that because mm. I like slasher film cliches. Yeah. If you don't like slasher films, you certainly won't want to watch this. It's true. But it, it does tick so many of those slasher film boxes for me. Yeah. It's simple premise, amazing special effects, yeah. a likeable final girl, that weird filter that so many films had in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, it's got that feel to it. Did it break any new ground? Absolutely not. No. Were the characters are a bit boring? Yes. Yeah. It holds up to rewatches purely. Yeah. Because of those special. Because effects. of the special. Effects, Let's yeah. be honest. The scenes where Mark and Pam have started their own investigating team. They're fucking. They're it's, a little boring. It's a bit. It's a yaw. Sometimes it works for the atmosphere, but then other times it's like they. It looks like they're purposely walking around slowly to build up the runtime. And it's like, come on, guys. Speed it up a bit. It's okay. We've got places to be. There's, yeah, there's guff. Yeah. Well, should we give out some awards? Uh, yes, for awards season. Yeah, first of all, we have Biggest Queen. I feel like it's going to go to Pam. Yeah, it has to and go Rosemary to Pam. Rosemary is a strong second place. I, I like Rosemary's unapologetic sexuality. Yeah. But I, I like Pam. Pam is a likeable... Um, final girl. Yeah, she's also not virginal in that sense. No, she's, she doesn't really play into the cliches. She's, she's an older boyfriend. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, the biggest gasp, I give it to uh, Fraser's head explosion. Um, yeah, no, Farley Granger's exploding head, definitely. Yeah, especially means it's so soon after the killer reveal, you know, it's, yeah, it's definitely a big gasp for me. And then for uh, best dialogue, I give it to the opening letter read, reading by uh, Rosemary. Because I think all of it you know, is written by a woman, it's you true. know. True. I think it's great. It's a bit of brutal friend zoning to set the plot in motion. <laughs> I went with, uh, that was different. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so New Year's. New Year's Eve. Um, that's camp. I give it to Lisa stealing Pam's man for a dance before spilling a drink over her. Yeah, we were starving for a bit of camp. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So I, I went with uh, just flashing Lawrence Tierney. That's camp. Yeah. yeah. And uh, our specific Nasty November category, Nastiest Moment, I'm going to give it to Carl and Sherry's deaths. Absolutely, I completely agree, yes. Ratings, I give it eight friend zone letters from Rosemary out of ten. I give it seven baby blue stain-resistant dresses out of ten. And uh, Masterpiece, Trash to Piece, Trash, Basic, or a Camp or Bunch of Fun. Um, we're not going to keep adding categories, but really it doesn't fit into any of those. No, it doesn't, <laughs> no. I mean, basic if we don't include the kills, but they take it further. So it's if not you really split this, the kills yeah. are a masterpiece. Yeah. The rest of it is, is a little basic. It's true. It's available on video on demand if you're in the UK, but if you're elsewhere, just go and get it from wherever you want, because apparently it's readily available in America. Um, if you enjoyed this, obviously check out My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah. It's very close to being the same fucking film. Yeah. Um, I suggest if you uh, enjoyed this, um, watch Friday the 13th Part 4. Yeah. Joseph Zito and Tom Savini reunited. Yeah. And it feels so good. Yeah. Uh, we are on social media. We're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok and Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am Chris Barker 823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And we're also Gasp Horror Festival across all social media as well. If you have any films to submit for next year's festival, keep them coming. We uh, would greatly appreciate it if you gave us a rate, review and subscribe on iTunes and like a follow on everything else. It's come up to Christmas. Be generous. Speaking of, now that Nasty November's done, next week, we're bringing you another video nasty. <laughs> yeah. We're kicking off Christmas with... Christmas Evil, the uh, dark, broody character study. <laughs> yes, um, the very serious Christmas very Evil. Serious Christmas Evil. Cannot yes. wait to pick that apart. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic film. So we'll see you. Spoiler, uh, I don't we'll, apologize. Yeah, we'll be back same time, same place, but in a much more festive setting next week. <laughs> Bye.